Oh, I don't, I have oh, the lapel. Oh, okay. <laughs> double, double, the double the mic. You don't need double the mic because it's loud. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it is a little bit loud just because when I put my head down. So anyway, um, yeah, so I'm here um, talking to you about the, in the middle of a sermon series called um, You Have Heard It Said. And, and I was reading a commentary about this section or this passage of scripture that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and one of the things that it said is that, you know, you can't take, you can't take a chapter out of a book and, and then and talk about it without understanding what the whole book is about. Like we all know that, right? You can't just take any old book and then just pull out one chapter and have a real, real idea of what, what the whole book is about from that just one chapter. And so when we pull this out today, I want to have a framework for you to understand what we're talking about. And this passage of scripture that, we're gonna be, that I'm going to be sharing about is in Matthew. And the book of Matthew, um, for those who don't know, is actually the story of Jesus. It's one of four books that tell about his life. So it starts in the beginning of Matthew with him being born, and it goes through to the end where he is crucified, he dies, he raises from the dead, all because God loves you. His love for you transforms you, and it forgives your sins. And so when we talk about things that are in, and actually in the whole Bible, the whole Bible is a love story. You guys have heard me say that before. This is the greatest love story ever told. It is how much God loves you and what he did to make sure he could have a relationship with you. And this, the things that Jesus said and did are transforming. And so this sermon series, um, we, we start in, we, we are starting in this section. Down is up. Up is down. It, it's on. Turn off, turn on. Whoa. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Um, and so in this sermon series, um, I'm going to be talking about oaths. And that the specific passage is found in Matthew 5, 33 and 37. <clears throat> but it is part of a couple of chapters. Actually, it's, it's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus actually, what was really interesting about this, it covers three chapters, the, the entire Sermon on the Mount. And as I was looking at it, um, there's lots of scholars who would say that this particular sermon, you know, in our minds we might think, well, Jesus had one Sermon on the Mount. He went onto this mountain, sat down, and taught people, which was, was typical for J Jewish um, leaders at that time. But it was probably more like a uh, teaching that he did in every town he went to, okay? Um, and so a few years ago, um, my husband and I went to see Steve Backland. Does anybody know who Steve Backland is? Um, so he wrote a book, um, and it was, it was phenomenal. And we, he came here to this area. We went and heard him speak. It was fantastic. And then about a year later, I heard he was going to be in Hastings. And so uh, my husband and I drove up to Hastings, and we're listening to him, and I'm thinking, that's really similar to what you spoke about the last time, which would be typical for an itinerant because, you know, you would give the same message because people want to hear, like, what your book is about, right? Well, guess what? Jesus had this amazing sermon that he probably, so he didn't have his book yet, 
We have the book now, but you didn't have the book then. And he taught it in different areas, in different, city, or different cities. And um, so, so this, that's what the um, Sermon on the Mount is, those couple of chapters. And really, the whole, thing, the whole picture is really challenging people who were following God. The Sermon on the Mount was, there's a lot in there in those three chapters. There's a lot in there that really challenges us on, you know, if we're following God, these are things we should be doing. And and, um, and so what's interesting is as I was studying on this and the the commentaries I was reading, one of them said, you know, how quickly we can put people in a box, right? Like, um, and the world does this right now. So I'm talking about our culture. If you ask people, they think, well, if you're a Christian, then you must be, your political views are this, this is what you say, this is what you do, and they, they, they're quick to list those things. What's really fascinating is that you can't get a general consensus <laughs> from everyone on what that means, right? And, and so, um, so what we want to do is make sure that our lives line up as God followers, as to what Jesus said, not what our culture says about us, right? And, um, and that's, that can be challenging. I, this week I had a, a, a conversation with someone in, in education. I work at, at a high school. Um, I'm a sign language interpreter. And as an interpreter, I have a code of ethics I have to follow. It's very much like, um, well, some of it, as far as confidentiality is concerned, is very similar to a, um, a lawyer. Like, I can't. It's client privilege. If somebody talks about something, I'm not supposed to say anything. Well, in the school system, they also have a rule, and it's called a FERPA law. I had to look it up this morning because I couldn't remember. I, knew what it, I know what it is, but acronyms, government and acronyms. Oh, my goodness. People, people, people. So the FERPA law is Family Education Right and Privacy Act. And what it basically means is if you work in education, you're a staff member, and you have somebody you have a student in your classroom and they have a confidential file, you can't go talking about that student to other people. You just can't, that's the law. But as people are working together and things are happening, and this is what was happening in my school, we were all sitting around the lunchroom, you know, say naughty Tony is getting into trouble again and the teacher who actually is his teacher shares with us what the kid did or said and this and that and was sharing confidential information. And I, um, I actually joined in on a discussion with another student and God just nailed me and said, really? One, it's confidential. So you're breaking your code of ethics, your interpreter code of ethics. Two, it's against the law of our land, which is the FERPA law, and so, I was ha- and so I was having this conversation with another interpreter and said, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. Now, not because I'm so holy or righteous, but because I got, I, I mean, I just felt um, this conviction from this series, like, oh, crap. So, um, so I was having this conversation with this other person, and their logic was this. Yes, but it's a different venue. What do you mean a different venue? He says, well, in the community when interpreters, you know, of course you can't talk about it. But in this venue, you know, we can talk about things. And I'm like, but FERPA law says we can't. 
And, I, and even, even without me being an interpreter, I'm still under the FERPA law. And he, and, and he said, well, um, but everybody does it. So let's just lower the bar, right? I mean, if everybody's doing it so that not everybody feels guilty, let's just lower the bar. Right? That's not what Jesus said. And so this particular set of, um, have you heard it said, really does go against what the Pharisees had taken Scripture and then kind of lowered the bar. And Jesus is going, uh-uh, we got to keep the standard high. So um, I loved loved when Bill preached a couple weeks ago. He talked about the fact that this particular section kind of starts with, you know, is kind of bookended with a couple of scriptures. And um, the beginning of this, Jesus was such a great teacher. He's like teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The goal of what he's going to talk about is that we become lights of the world. That's the goal. So everything I talk about today, the goal is for your hearts to be transformed so that you can let Jesus' light shine and other people can see him in you. Does that make sense? And then the section that we're talking about, so that's like the goal for the whole thing, and then the section we're talking about, 17 through 48, this particular, that doesn't make sense, particular section, the goal is, is not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he's going to talk about specific laws, and he's not saying, well, we're just going to get rid of the law. He's like, I want to show you how it can actually come about. And that your righteousness is better than the experts. Because what had happened is the Pharisees had twisted things, and Jesus calls them later, you whitewashed tombs. You might look good on the outside, but inside, you're dead and decaying. What a horrible picture. I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb, right? Um, David, and so David Platt is, um, a, a is a commentator, and he wrote, this is not an outer righteousness to show everyone how good we look, but an inner righteousness to show how gracious and powerful God is. This isn't about you. It's all about you and not about you. It's all about you receiving God and letting him transform your inside. And that's what he wants to display, right? And how does that happen? Well, in John 3, 8, it says, Like the wind, Jesus says, this work of God's spirit is not something we can bring about, but we can see the effects of, right? So God's spirit working in us allows people to see what's happening, all right? So our passage today, took a long time to get there, but here we are. So Matthew 5, 33 and 30, through 37. Again, you have heard it said, 
to, to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you have to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So now we're going to go and we're going to break this down verse by verse, okay? So um, he begins with, again, the reason he says again is because we've heard about adultery and murder and we've heard about these other things. He's, he's talked about those and now we're to the, to the oaths and he says, again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, um, like with murder and adultery, you can trace that back to exactly one scripture in the Ten Commandments, right? Shall not murder and you shall not you know, commit adultery. But with oaths, it's not actually one scripture. And I love this quote by John Stott. He says, this is not an accurate quotation of any one law of Moses. At the same time, it is a not inaccurate summary of several Old Testament precepts which require people who make vows to keep them. And there's, so there's lots of scriptures. Now, I just picked out four that we're going to refer to. And the first one is in Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you won't be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Because you made the vow freely. No one was telling you you had to, right? So he's saying, if you can do it, if, if you voluntarily say, I pledge, I, or I promise, or whatever, that you better, you're obligated to keep that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay, the next scripture is Exodus 20, verse 7. And it says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now that word misuse means to make empty the name of the Lord. Okay? So, or to make worthless the name of the Lord. So you're basically saying God's name, who he is, means nothing if you misuse his name. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Leviticus 19.12. Do not swear falsely by my name, or so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Profane here means to bring shame to God's name, or to think it's not holy. So, and, and we could do that, right? If we say, I swear on God's name that I'm going to do this thing, and then you don't do it, you're basically saying that God means nothing, even though it's you that's saying it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know, it's kind of deep. It's kind of ugh. ugh. All right. Uh, uh, Zechariah 8, 17. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate this, declares the Lord. He doesn't want us to do it. He doesn't want us to swear falsely. In Ephesians 4, it says, put away lying. Let each of you speak the truth up to your neighbor. Um. So, 
so what, what they were doing was, was swearing. Basically, what he's saying is they're lying, right? I mean, th these are, we're saying about oaths, but really what he's talking about is when you take an oath, you have to, you have to fulfill it, which is if you don't, the opposite would be you're lying, right? You didn't do what you said you were going to do, okay? So, um, so what we end up seeing is in the next scripture, now we're back to, we're back to our, our text, and verse 34, Jesus continues and says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one, white, one hair white or black. And so Jesus is talking about the fact that culturally they were, um, so the, the Pharisees almost acted like judges sometimes, and so people were saying, well, I'm going to swear by heaven and not by God, so then I don't have to like, keep this vow. Okay, so they were twisting it. They were, and so the Pharisees were literally, the Pharisees got together and said, okay, well, if you swear by this thing, you have to keep your vow. But if you swear by that thing, you don't have to. Does that make sense? So like, if you swear by heaven, it's okay. But if you swear by God's name, oh, you have to, you have to follow through. They literally, that's what they were doing. That's what this whole reference is about. And so G Jesus later, he talks about this to the, um, the Pharisees. And he says in Matthew 23, 16 through 22, he's talking to the Pharisees because they have like made up these rules. You know, I swear by, you know, this, this stand. Well, yes, you have to keep it. But I swear by this stand, I don't have to keep it, right? He goes, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if someone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if he swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So who, he who swears by the altar swears by it, and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Okay, so we see very specifically, basically he's saying, God made everything. It's all his. God made heaven. He made earth. He made you. He made me. We're, we're all, you, you, can't, you can't swear by any of that uh, to, to be a liar, you know what I mean? So, um, okay, Ugh, getting started. Okay, however, so he's saying don't, don't do this. So is he saying you can't declare an oath at all? That's not what he's saying. Because God swears an oath. In Hebrews 6, it says, um, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And then Jesus in Matthew says, um, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answered him, I am. Right? And then Paul, three times in, in Romans, in 2 Corinthians, in Galatians, I'm not going to read them all to you. Well, in Romans he says, for God is my witness. 
And in 2 Corinthians, he says, I call God as my witness. In Galatians, he says, I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. So we know that you can take an oath, but you can't take an oath in the, in the guise of deceiving somebody. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, this um, author or this uh, commentator, Art Barkley, says, the truly good man will never need to take an oath. The truth of his saying and the reality of his promises need no such guarantees. But the fact that oaths are still sometimes necessary is the proof that men are not good men and that this is not a good world, right? And so we do see that sometimes in the courtroom you have to swear because we're in a fallen world, people, and people lie. And so we have to have some way to say, you know, we need to take take oaths. Jesus emphasized in his teaching that honest men do not need to resort to oaths, but it's not that they should refuse to take an oath required by some authority to do so. Does that make sense? Okay. So you, don't, you, you just shouldn't be going, I pinky promise. I swear to God and hope to die. Did anybody, everybody heard that when they were kids, right? Right? Because usually it meant somebody wasn't telling the truth. You know, I mean, if, you, if your word means nothing, you have to like try to make it mean something. But you shouldn't have to, right? So you shouldn't have to. If, you are, have, if you're full of integrity, you don't need to. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Okay, um, I need to back up for a second because remember that whole thing about white hair? You know, you can't turn. Okay, so yeah, we can dye our hair, but we can't permanently change our head. And some of us who have gray hairs would be happy if we could, but we can't, right? So we have no control even over that, truly. That's, that's under God's guise. Okay, I just had to say that. So um, this, so all you need is your yes and your yes and your no and your no. And um, James in uh, verse 5, 12, he reiterates this and it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Um, David Turner comments on this. Well, actually, John Stott says, swearing, a.k.a. oath-taking, is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Yeah. <laughs> Oaths often arise because men are so often liars. And what can we, and, and we can just say, it was, so instead of saying, it was so amazing, I promise, it was the, you know, just say it was great. And let that be, yeah. you know, what, what, what the truth is. You know, we had this situation in, in um, school uh, two weeks ago. So we had, um, um, I'm going to use Susie. Susie, um, senior, um, she, she had something, she had something of value in her possession. And little Jenny, um, a freshman, you know, we've only been in school a couple of weeks, uh, stole from Susie. And, uh, and so I was in the middle of this and I had to go to the police liaison officer that we have in our school and said, you know, hey, you know, um, Jenny stole this from Sue, or stole this thing. This is what it was. Jenny stole this thing. It was out in front of a camera. You know, could you check the cameras so, you know, we could handle this thing? And the police officer said to me, well, who did, who, who did it belong to? And I went, well, it was Susie's. And the police officer looked at me. Because unfortunately, Susie, at her senior year, 
has lied so many times to the police officer, he doesn't believe anything she says. And so I had to say, yes, but little um, Tommy, who we do trust, saw it. So I, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to drag everybody in, but, but that's what happened. And that's really, I mean, that's sad. It is truly the story we all know, the boy who cried wolf, right? And how much more should we as Christians not be like that, right? It, it, and so why do people lie? Why do you tell even a little lie? Why, why do people lie? Um, I, I looked into some really interesting articles, and, and really every one of them comes down to a heart issue. Every reason you can think of that people lie comes down to a heart issue. To avoid punishment, so you're trying to protect yourself, to control the situation because you're afraid to give up control, so you lie to try and make sure that you can stay in control. Maybe it's just a simple, I want people to like me. You know, so you lie and exaggerate a story so you look better than you really are because that will impress somebody. Um, some people do it for a thrill, but there's a heart issue behind that. There's, a, there's something going on in their heart that would cause them to lie. Or, or maybe it's just to avoid embarrassment. And so we don't want to do this because we want to be people of integrity, right? We want our yes to mean something and our no to mean something and not have to back it up with a, uh, a you know, give me a Bible, I swear on a Bible, or, or whatever it is, that your yes and your no mean something. And, and all of these... The other end of the bookend, to be the light of the world, is to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when um, Bill preached this um, several weeks ago, uh, he, he showed us the bookends, and he showed us his text in the center, and mine's in the center, too. And this part, I was like, what? Be perfect? I don't know if I can do that. But if you look up perfect, it actually means... Um, brought to an end, finished, lacking nothing necessary for completeness. Isn't that what our, that we're doing as Christians? We walk out our Christian life to be like Jesus, that we would be complete, that we would be, that he would be finished working through us, right? And so that's what this is all about, is learning how to allow his work to transform our hearts. Um, so our goal is to be like Jesus, right? That's, we want to be like him. Our integrity matters. In 1 Peter, it says, um, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you let your yes be yes and your no be no, if you're a person of integrity, the Lord will hear your voice. He'll hear your prayers. And I want God to hear my prayers. You know, um, several years ago, when Ray and I, um, my husband and I first got married, we spent the first year living in separate houses. He lived in Jackson and I lived in Plainwell because that's where we had jobs. And um, so we both carried um, separate bank accounts. 
Um, and so he paid for his stuff and I paid for my stuff because you know, we only saw each other on the weekends and who wants to do bills all weekend? Ugh. So, um, and, and it was kind of, and actually that made the first year kind of nice because you know, like you deal with somebody for a weekend and then you don't have to deal with the regular stuff and it was great, right? <laughs> well, so then we, then we um, actually, he gets a job here, we move in together permanently, we both are in the same place. Now we're having to combine things and, and so my husband is very um, meticulous with money He's very good at saving and, you know, knowing, like, he actually checks off the credit card bill. Like, really? And I don't so much do that, you know? And so I was like, whatever. And, and, and there was one credit card that we hadn't combined that I just kind of used and he, you know, so anyway. And um, I kind of might maybe have gotten into a little bit of trouble because it was a little more, because I could just kind of spend and then I go, wait a second. What happened? I don't know how that happened. And, um, and so I didn't say anything, and I tried to like fix it, and there's not that much money, and so I really couldn't fix it. And I think it was around tax time, because like we got our taxes back. And, and so I just knew, I, so I knew, no, I thought he was just gonna like flip his lid, because he's meticulous money. And so I went to him and I was like, okay, so I had this thing. And I kind of spent too much money, and I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, let's just pay for it out of this account, you know? And I looked at him, and, and I said, I'm so sorry. And he said, he doesn't even remember this. I asked him about it the other day. He doesn't even remember it. It was very pivotal to me. <laughs> he said, if you lie to me about a little thing, how can I trust you with anything big? I was like, wow, wow wow, my integrity matters, you know? The little things matter. And the whole point is because we want to be his disciples. We want to be Jesus' disciples. That we would allow Jesus to transform us, that the world would see him through us, right? And I loved this verse. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what, he, what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I love the New Living Translation even better. We all make mistakes. All of us do. But if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. Wow. How powerful is your mouth? and what you say. So the challenge is to be the light of the world. So having one set of values here at church and having another in your workplace doesn't work. Your integrity isn't gonna hold up because one will slip into the other. It just, it just happens that way. We don't wanna be double-minded we don't want to have double lives, right? And it's great for Superman, but it doesn't work for us, right? And, and the goal is to allow people to see Jesus through us, working in our hearts, so that they would come to a relationship with him. We want to let our light shine. And if our lights are a little dirty, now's the perfect opportunity to get them cleaned up. Right? Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you 
I thank you so much that you care. You care about us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross, a brutal death, so that we might live. I just thank you, Father, that you, you did that act for us. That you did that for us. That you love us so much. And you would, you would die for us. And Father, I just, I just pray right now that if there's anything in our hearts that aren't right before you, if there's any way that we've spoken in a wrong manner or we've misrepresented you, that that conviction would lead us to repentance. And all that means is that we could come to you and say, forgive me for what I did. Change my heart. Because I don't want to do it again. I want to be transformed to be like you. Hmm. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.